The Yaku Pop Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Yaku Podcast. My name is Matt Emery, and this month we've got a really special edition and a Bella Union special edition. That is where I had the privilege of speaking to label boss and owner Simon Raymond, and we had the chance to talk about everything from double platinum selling albums to radio, John Kennedy, and also Simon's own show on Amazing Radio, A and R and tips for unsigned bands, R Price Record Shops if you remember them, his career with the Cocteau Twins, and also artists he's had the pleasure of working with over the years and to this present day. There'll be music along the way from all Benny, all Bella Union artists. Uh, from Pins to Ballet School, uh, a track called Grey, which is a Bernard and Edith remix, which is up for free on the Bella Union SoundCloud now, and I'm completely addicted to it. Um, there will also be music from Fleet Foxes, Zunza Nagui, Peter Broderick, Horse Thief, Beach House, and BC Camplight. I start by asking about the origins of Bella Union and the intentions behind the label, but first up is a track by Father John Misty titled True Affection, and I think this track is probably my favourite of his new album titled I Love You Honey Bear. I hope you enjoy.
I just wanted to know, um, did you set up the label in terms of, did you have it in the idea of uh, releasing the more Cocteau Twins sort of future releases or did you actually have it as a separate venture from the start or what What was the idea behind Belly Union? Well, totally uh, the former. Um, we, we we were never really big fans of record labels and to be honest, I'm, you know, I'm, I still have a certain inbuilt, you know, um, feeling about are they good, are they bad, you know, I'm still always questioning motives of people, and record labels sometimes don't have the best, and historically haven't, and we hadn't had good experiences with either of the two labels we were on, uh, 4AD, well it was all right actually, to be, to be honest it was fine in the beginning, but it sort of deteriorated, that relationship, and the, and the major label experience was hideous from from day one, <laughs> so the label was really set up for us to just sort of be completely separated from record labels yeah. and record label people uh, so that we could just literally get on with our own music, do collaboration, do solo records, put them all out on our own label, and then somebody else would distribute it and yeah. license it or whatever. And we would just be... It was like a sort of an A&R project for our own music, if you like. Yeah. Um, so we wouldn't have anyone else saying, oh, I think that's a better track for the single, <laughs> you know, and you'll be like... You know, now you wouldn't have that problem. But um, there was never any idea of, of, of releasing anyone else's music, no. And it was only because the band broke up literally six months after setting the label up yeah. that, you know, um, certainly for me, I was at a definite at a loose end from there on in. I, I definitely felt, gosh, you know, what what, what am I going to do now? Um, Probably subconsciously, you know what I mean. I, I, we, I didn't sit there thinking, "Gosh, what am I going to do now?" But I, I definitely, you know, looking back on it, found that whole period of time to be quite unsettling. Yeah. And I think throwing yourself into something else like a label seemed like the most obvious solution to sort of twiddling your thumbs, feeling sorry for yourself, yeah. you know, because yeah. the the band was such a huge part of my life, you know, pretty much the the whole part of my life to, to many to many degrees. Um, that being without it was odd to say the least so yeah the label was a bit of a release in a way and didn't have a clue what I was doing what we were doing uh, for at least three or four years you know just stumbled through making bad decisions on relationships (laughs) and distributors and PR people and getting it all wrong horribly many many times and then you know eventually the penny dropped cool cool Um, I'm going to talk about sort of the You've got quite an eclectic sound on there, and I suppose you probably get asked this, well, by many people. Is that is that always been the the purpose, or have you, have you have you purposely gone out to release kind of different genres, or have you kind of do you just literally work with with who you love, and if you like a record, then you're. I, 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 yeah, I think it's more the latter. Um, I think it's more because as a as a as a music fan, I'm I'm. I have pretty broad taste. Yeah, I think that's probably the fundamental spark to it all. Um, when I was um, eighteen, and my first ever job was working in a record shop, and I worked in the, the Beggars Banquet record shop in Earl's Court, yeah. and Four AD was was upstairs from that, and it was a punk and reggae record shop, and pretty much in my in my late teens and early twenties, the only music I was into was punk. Yeah. post-punk and reggae and dub and that that was it I didn't really go beyond those four genres yeah. um, I you know didn't do Dylan or folk or rock or jazz <laughs> or 
you know anything beyond that i was sort of very much a one-dimensional human being at that point and then i got a job the shop shut unfortunately and then i got a job in our price records which i suppose is sort of like i used to work at our price my favorite job i've ever had well there you go you know back in the in the 80s it was actually a decent shop it did degenerate and, and became a bit like um you know by by music from mcdonald's you know, it was very sort of flipping burgers by the end of the the period where where those shops were open. But in the beginning, there were actually yeah. some great shops, and I managed I managed uh, several of them. Um, and I loved my job, like you. I loved working at our price, and I I was very lucky that my first job was at the our price in Tottenham Court uh, in Charing Cross Road. Oh, wow! And um, within six months, I was assistant manager in that job. And uh, about a year later, I was manager of that shop. And the guy I learnt off was a, a guy who's now, he's doing very well in uh, film animation. He, his name is Andy Frayne, an incredible uh, drummer, actually, jazz drummer. And he really opened my eyes to um, <clears throat> a whole load of music that I hadn't really hitherto bothered with. Yeah. And we would sort of uh, stay behind after work and, you know, he'd roll a joint and we'd just listen to Mingus and Thelonious Monk and, uh, you know, all these kind of like stuff that I'd never had any idea of, like ECM yeah. records. He was an obsessive about ECM. <laughs> and, you know, I suppose I, being into sort of the 4AD thing, uh, ECM in a way was like the sort of uh, modern classical version of, of 4AD in a way, you know what I mean? It was yeah. like the aesthetic yeah. Uh, of 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 artwork and the production and the mixing and the the the, the pressings were all so exquisite. Yeah, uh, I really really opened my eyes to um, you know gave me an exposure to a load of stuff that I that I probably would never have known had I not gone to that shop. Yeah. So even though the, you know the job ended up, I ended up getting fired actually, um, which 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 was fine because a week later I got asked to join the Cocteau Twins. So kind of it all panned out lovely, yeah. but um, yeah, that experience was really crucial for me in my sort of uh, appreciation of lots of genres of music. And maybe to cut a long story short, maybe that is why I have. I don't know. Um, I'm I'm always looking for something new. You know, I I wouldn't have any problem with releasing a jazz record yeah. on, on Bell Union, and and I, and if you look at the catalogue closely, even though they weren't records that did well, we've released two piano solo records, we've released two two or three hip hop records, yeah. we've released lots of weird instrumental yeah. sort of stuff that you know probably no one bought, but but <laughs> we did release it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Have you have you always played? I mean, as in was was Cocteau Twins your first band or? My, well, it was my well, it's actually my third band. Uh, it was my sort of second proper band. My first band at school um, broke up, but then two of the members from it carried on doing being my second band. And then that band was on was signed to uh, Situation Two, which was a uh, another subsidiary of Beggars. Yeah. So um, in the old beggar shop, uh, there was like a sort of punk rock shop, and then the the staff like Martin Mills, the guy that now is the Empire Builder at Beggars, him and, and Nick Austin used to walk through the shop to go upstairs to their little office upstairs, and Ivo Watts Russell, who um, was running 4AD from the same office, he would come through the shop, and even people like like Robin and Liz from the Cocteau Twins actually knocked on the door. Uh, I, I I actually took in their very first tape. This is kind of 
yeah. serendipitous, I suppose. <laughs> but they they came down from Scotland. I think sort of they arrived at the shop at like nine thirty a.m. and I just literally got in, and the you know the the, the door bent, the door was knocked, and I went and saw these two weird looking people outside the door and. They said, "Oh, we've come to deliver our cassette to uh, to Ivo. Can you give it to him, please?" I thought, "Yeah, sure." So I took this cassette off, gave it to Ivo. It turned out that was their uh, their first album. You know, many a couple of years later, so that was kind of weird. So, and I was signed to a band called the Drown. I was signed to a label called Situation Two. My band was called the Drowning Craze, and we released three singles, and then we broke up, and then very soon after, I, I joined uh, I joined the Cocktails. Of bands in terms of 
Like in Texas, you've got Explosions in the Sky, Mid Lake, and um, Robert Gomez. And in LA, you've got Father John Misty, you've got Van Dyke Parks, Jonathan Wilson. Is that, um, is that obviously, have you thought about that, or is it more that the bands have, have recommended you something? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah a bit more of that, really. Um, I mean, the Texas connection pretty much came through South by Southwest, because, uh, you know, whilst... Um, you know, it's, it's fairly hideous these days. Back back in the late '90s, when I first started going there, it was an incredible festival. It wasn't there was hardly anyone there, you know, yeah. and it was uh, there were no daytime parties. There were just the, the nighttime showcase gigs, and I um, mean, you literally could walk into a, a bar and and see the best band you'd ever seen with like three people watching. Yeah. You could easily sign a band. You could easily sign a hundred bands. Yeah. Now you've got no chance. You know, all the bands are signed by the time they get there. Yeah. So it was a very different festival. And um, yeah, I signed uh, "Lift to Experience" with the first band. I think I signed through um, through that connection, and that probably was the catalyst for the label and me feeling uh, the, the label taking off a little bit better, and me feeling much more confident in in running one. Yeah, um, and doing A and I sort of been involved in the production of it, and they were an incredible band, a very short lived, unfortunately. They only made the one record. Um, but it did really well it was like album of the month in uncut here and they sold out shows and they were probably one of the greatest rock and roll bands that I've ever seen yeah and they were they were hugely well regarded in the UK surprisingly not not at all in their own country but uh they were sort of an apocalyptic sound and of course the singer Josh T Pearson is now uh you know signed to mute yeah. and has gone on already gone on to have you know a pretty successful solo career so that was sort of the first texas thing and uh, they told me about midlake midlake told me about robert gomez and sort of so on and so on and um r is pretty easy really because you know as long as you've got good confidence in your own tastes yeah uh, and you've got you know a good source of hearing about th- new things I suppose bands are and bands the are the best of, way of you know and i always take it as a great compliment if a, if a really great band recommends somebody else that they realize that if you like them may end up signing to your label that's a big deal because most bands really don't want you to sign other bands they want you to just concentrate on them they don't really want you to be liking something else more so when a band does suggest another band I always take it quite seriously I don't always like stuff but in those in those cases obviously Midlate were extraordinary and I still work with them to this day you know whatever it is 12 years later um uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. The LA thing, no, that's not. That's the Van Dyke Parks thing is completely separate to Jonathan Wilson and Father John Misty. I was already working with Josh Tillman, who is who is Father John Misty, yeah. several years before he was even in the Fleet Foxes. Yeah, uh, I'd actually released three of his solo records, and then it just so happened that he was going out with uh, with Robin Pecknold's sister, who was their manager. And it just seemed really natural yeah. that when they kicked out their original drummer, um, hey Josh, you know, could you play the drums? Yeah, sure. You know, and then he yeah. became the drummer because he was their mate, sort yeah. of thing. And then here we are, you know, five or six years later with uh, with the Father John Misty thing. So the LA thing, not so much a kind of connection, just a random set of coincidences, I suppose. Yeah. And but definitely us working with Josh and us working with John, Jonathan Wilson will have probably led them two together 
because yeah. obviously I think Josh moved because I mean he was living in Seattle and he moved to to LA. Uh, I don't know why, but he probably just to get away from that whole scene in Seattle, and he you know found himself being fr- becoming friends with Jonathan Wilson. Yeah. Um, as you probably would do if you were sort of in that Laurel Canyon th- scene yeah, thing. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I can't think of too many other uh, sort of cities or states where we've sort of concentrated our uh, signings. Um, I don't think there's any more. There were a couple of others in Texas. Jet Screamer was another band we signed from there. Um but no, I mean, I'm spreading myself out a bit more now. I'm not restricting <laughs> myself to Denton. Um, at one point, I should have just set the label up off label office up in Denton because we like had five bands on the roster. I yeah. think at one point. obviously probably quite a, a big part of Belly Union in terms of obviously it's your first platinum record and I was just going to say do you see that as quite a pivotal kind of 
um, release sort of in the record double label. Platinum. Double platinum. Double platinum. Yeah, I know. Um, I mean, it is an amazing record. Did Did you always think that that would would go no. on to see those heights? No, I mean, you dream about it with every release, and certainly, I. I felt that it could do really, really well. But I mean, my really, really well at the time would have been 100,000 would have been like, yeah. oh my God, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll retire. I'll, you know, when I just give up, that'll yeah. be incredible. Went on to sell, you know, we've sold pretty much close to a million now. Um, that is just fantasy land as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. In an independent label, uh, you know, with three staff, um, with no money at all to sell a million records is is just unheard of and may well and probably will well probably will almost certainly won't happen again because now no one buys records anymore but um you know even as far back as 2008 it, you know i suppose the when when we got to 100,000 i i think i think i sort of thought well that's it it's not going to do any more than that because where where are the more where are there more music fans than 100,000 the kind of people that are going to get into this yeah. they've already bought it where are these other people going to come from? But uh, it's incredible, uh, you know, when you get into those kind of numbers, you're able to do things like TV advertising yeah. and radio advertising and, um, you know, street posters. And you sort of, your, your, your income is obviously increased to, to the level that you can put it back into marketing the record in, in, a, in a bigger way. Because obviously when you, when you initially start off marketing, you're doing it to the people that buy Uncut, Mojo, yeah. listen to Radio 6 Music and all that. But once you've got all of those people and they've all bought the record, well then what, how do you get to to 100, to 250, to 300? Yeah. I have no idea because we'd never <laughs> done it before. You know, I literally was like, I don't know what we're doing here. But obviously working with, um, with Co-op, who were our sort of licensing partners at the time around the world, there was obviously a lot more experience with that kind of thing. And we relied on, on some of their expertise to, to understand how to do this. And, and thanks to them, we, you know, we got to 300 from 100 really quickly um, by, by TV advertising the record on 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 very smart shows in between very smart shows because yeah. that's the other thing is it's very strategic yeah right? you have to really think about it and it's amazing you know you get list of all the different costs of, of of how much it is to advertise in between this show and that show and we all sat down and we sort of thought about which kind of people already had the record so we there's no point serving an ad to them yeah. but but maybe the kind of people that watch i don't know like the sort of a home improvement show like uh, or in the country or grand designs or yeah. you know you work out what kind of person might buy this record but probably <laughs> hasn't been exposed to it yet it's yeah. really good fun it's yeah. it's really fascinating and um yeah we got to we got to 300,000 following the tv advertising and then I suppose the the Brits they got nominated for a Brit award I think for um, best international record and just that whole thing that sort of you know the knock on effect of all yeah. the the worldwide publicity the Glastonbury's and the you know the touring you know we got up to sort of 5 6 700 and now just over the course of time it's it's continued to sell and, and got us to a million I I, I literally pinch myself to believe it actually happened you know yeah. because I suppose it's just one of those things that especially as an indie everything must have just lined up everything everything you know what I mean it's just everything and that's what's so bizarre about it yeah. you do this for as long as I have 18 years now most of what you attempt doesn't work yeah so you think let's do this and let's send this track to radio and, and hopefully it'll get on you know the b-list or something yeah it doesn't 
you get disappointed and you think oh well I don't know what I'm talking about anymore I'll give up but with Fleet Foxes everything and I mean I can't even think of some, of anything that didn't work you <laughs> let's set let's send this track a list let's send it to radio to a list you know what I mean let's yeah. send it to Jules Holland on the show you know what I mean it's like what? what's going on it's crazy I mean I, mean, I remember the first London show at the Hoxton Bar and Grill you know it was packed it was the the vibe from South by Southwest in March had sort of uh, picked up some momentum yeah. and people were talking about the band a lot online and like you've got to see this band and the show was was, was, was busy and I thought you know yeah, it was a good show. And then about three weeks later, they sold out Yulu, which is 800 capacity, gone yeah. from 250 to 800 in the space of three weeks, which was quite odd. Yeah. How when does that ever happen to us before? And then I think the next show was was Shepherd's Bush Empire. Uh, even like not even more than about a month or so later. And I, I remember standing in the middle um, of the floor at Yulu. Uh, it was June, just I think just before the record came out, or sometime around the release, and I was excited. I was about ten yards from the front. I like the sound at Eula. If you stand right yeah. in the middle, it's it's a you know it's a nice nice venue uh, for gigs, and the stage is quite high, so everyone gets to see. And I was standing there waiting for the band to come on. The place was rammed, and after about fifteen minutes, I sort of noticed that around my vicinity and like the sort of square meter around me was everybody on the planet what i mean by that is like on my right was a sort of 65 year old man on my left was a, a sort of 15 year old student in front of me were two japanese tourists yeah. and so uh, there was a 35 year old couple here was a 50 year old gay couple you know uh, eth every ethnicity every age yeah. was there and i was like well that that's weird i've never seen that at, a, at a, any show i've been to on my label before yeah it's always quite genre you know genreified or if you know what i mean it's like yeah. you know you the czars play a show or john grant plays a show or, or live to experience plays a show. you kind of know that it's going to be beardy sort of uncut readers yeah. you know yeah, yeah. maybe mostly male in their sort of late 20s early 30s that that's kind of our audience i suppose yeah. or had been up to that point and all of a sudden, we've got a band that are appealing quite clearly, even in the space of a month, uh, to everybody. And at that point, I thought, well, this, this could go pretty well because this is unusual. Yeah. And that was the moment I sort of like thought, yeah, we, we could maybe do okay with this band. Yeah. <laughs> like, I could never have predicted how well. Has that had a knock-on effect for the label in terms of obviously oh, yeah. that is it? Do you think yeah, that it's the is... biggest the biggest thing that ever happened to the yeah. label. Has it has it opened up many and sort of a lot of things for the label in terms of I'm sure it has. I mean maybe uh nothing um nothing sort of groundbreaking. I I suppose uh not sort of one particular thing, but what it did do is it raised the profile of the label. I mean, not that that's really that important to me, but it ra it raised the profile of the label to the point where you know people start taking you more seriously. You know, instead of banging on the door to get this band heard of, you know, they they tend to listen a bit more because they yeah. thought, you know. And also, what happens is within the industry, whatever that means, within the sort of wider scope of the music industry, Bella Union was being talked about a lot more, you know, instead of award ceremonies and, you know, you'd, you'd be mentioned or you'd be nominated yeah. as best label or whatever. Yeah. All of a sudden there was a more uh, acknowledgement of what we were doing, which yeah. is nice after all that which time, you think. Which is also 
helping the other bands. It's helping the other bands. It's helping the other bands. And it also enables you to sign better bands uh, because other bands who are great see that and want you to do what you did with them. It's just pretty simple economics, really. You know, the, 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 the greater your success, the, the more people will come knocking. Um, that can have its downside, of course. But uh, I made sure we didn't expand the label in any way at all because I knew it was a complete one-off and it will almost certainly never happen again. Yeah. Even with their second record, I know probably a lot of people internally were were feeling we could do even bigger and better with the second album, but knowing how second albums historically go uh, and and also seeing the decline in the music industry just just even sort of from that period period, uh, I was never certain that that would happen. I always thought half a million, which is where we were sort of at around about the time the sec- the second album came out, seemed such an inflated unrealistic amount of people it seemed almost like you have to take a couple of hundred thousand away from that because these are this is just an un, a moment in time that will never happen again yeah. just because they put another record out does not mean you're going to sell half a million records and i yeah. think a lot of people that we work with thought it would and i was very trying to really calm everyone down and, and even the band and the management i was like you know Really, I think our, our our real number of fans, hardcore fans that will go and buy the record, is is more likely to be around two hundred thousand yeah. than half a million. Yeah. It's like anything; you have a big success with them, you come back with the next thing. You have to start all over again. Yeah. People are not loyal, unfortunately. Uh, you know, well, maybe that's right. You know, you you need to judge every record on its merits. Yeah. And the the second record is a more artistic record in a way. It's more personal. Um, and maybe uh, you know for that slightly less commercial I don't I don't even know because I don't even care but it, I, I think it's an, just as brilliant a record but, but obviously the rest of the world didn't agree because yeah. it didn't sell as well yeah. but to me I'm still just as proud of that album as I am the first and yeah. it, you know, obviously it's so great and yeah. I can't complain about the sales but um, yeah. I was following me I was following me I was following me I was following me
from falling in the snow And I turn around and there you go And Michael you would fall and turn the white snow red as strawberries in summertime So there have been any record labels either growing up or that have kind of inspired Bell Union at all? And if there's any record labels at the moment that you... you, you Alco Pops, of course. Yeah, uh, well. No, I, I do love the label and um, I, Jack knows I'm a big fan and um, I really like I really like him and I really like what he's doing with the label. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of labels now more than I was then, to be honest. Yeah. You know, at the, 
I, as I say, I just wasn't interested in record labels in the way that I that I am now. For obvious reasons, I'm a big supporter of it because I'm part of it and I do see the community side of it a lot. Uh, as a kid growing up, I mean, as a you know, as a sort of punk rocker, I was into labels around about the early '80s because there was a fantastic label scene then. 4AD, Factory, Postcard, you know, and then and then you know your Rough Trade. Uh, fast records you know and I look at all my seven inch singles you know there are only a certain amount of labels that crop up consistently Um, and then even through the 80s and early 90s with sort of kitchenware labels like that you know I was always a fan of those kind of labels and factory pretty much even though their business uh, acumen may leave left something to be desired they certainly their A&R was Tony Wilson was an absolute legend you yeah. know and a very inspirational person um, I used to love Island Records when I was you know uh, in my in my earlier teens um, and then with with things like King Sonia Day and Grace Jones I'm, I always kind of like the the aesthetic of the early Island this is before they got yeah. taken over by yeah. the major when they became hideous um, and I liked things like Electra, obviously through television and bands like that. Um, but I, I don't suppose I've really been that much of a label enthusiast until I became part of it and joined AIM, the Association of Independent Music, which is sort of a, a wonderful community for, for independent labels. And now I feel sort of very invested in it and supportive of, of anyone that does it and happy to you know talk about my experiences and 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 uh and some of the pitfalls and some of the you know the joys of doing it because yeah. there there are both of course yeah we speak a bit about a and r side of things just because i know there are quite a few bands and artists that listen to these kind of podcasts and they, they always you know everyone's going to want to know um sort of when you're starting out as a band would you have any advice for a, a young band or artist starting these days and in the way to go about maybe getting their music out there or what's the best way if you were starting as a young band today what would be the well, best to concentrate yeah, totally. on this climate totally um, I think a lot of bands don't do research they don't research it enough um, we live in a time where the information at our fingertips has never been greater so you have to question receiving an email where there's no reference to you as a person. Yeah. There's um, 3,000 other email addresses in the CC, <laughs> and there is, we are a heavy metal band from uh, Staffordshire. We'd like you to sign our band, please. <laughs> you'd, you'd have to question the integrity and the sense in writing that email. Yeah. And I'm afraid I still get many, many emails like that a day, a day. Um, so clearly, if you're trying to re- attach attract the attention of one of the bigger independent labels like Bella Union, like Fat Cat, like One Little Indian, like 4AD, like Domino, one of the labels you may aspire to be on, it makes sense to do a little bit of research to find out, because because there's not going to be many people at those companies. I mean, yeah. at mine, there's four. Yeah. So there's only four people you have to find in the world. Now, what, what would you... What would I do if I was... How do I find them? I'll go on their website. Oh, look, they're all there. Simon, Annika, Luke, Duncan, Mark. That's it. 
we're all there yeah. our email addresses our names probably our phone numbers for all I know <laughs> they're all there and within three seconds of going on the internet you could have found my email address yeah. and you could write me an email saying dear Simon I um, really love what you guys do um, here's we've just started a band and here's a SoundCloud link maybe you could take a listen to three or four songs and let me know what you think that is the right way to do it. Yeah. The wrong way is the one I described earlier and, and any other variations of that, of which there are many. Yeah. I don't want a, a huge um, download MP3. Yeah. I don't want five MP3s in an email. That's horrible because if every band <laughs> does that, my computer is going to crash yeah. and my phone is going to die. So just send me a SoundCloud link, a secret link or something. And I, 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 I'm sure 99% of, of the other indie labels would be echoing what I'm saying. Yeah. I and mean, you've done enough of these podcasts yeah. to know that everyone doesn't have much time in the day. Yeah. And that's the other thing. I don't want to read everything about your band, about you know how, how long your drummer's hair is or how long he's been in the band or it's the ninth incarnation of a band that we started. I don't care because I actually don't even, yeah. I don't even want to know. I just want to know if I like the music or not because yeah. once I know that, then I may be interested to read a bit yeah, more. Exactly. Do, I don't even want to know what you look like, really. If you want to put in a picture, okay, but I'm not going to care because yeah. that's not what I'm interested in personally. I'm interested in the, in the music and I don't want to hear the whole record not at all and some bands will send you the whole album and it'll be a bit like do you really think I've got 45 minutes to listen to every uh, to every band's demo that comes in I promise you I haven't yeah. I haven't really got I haven't really got three minutes to be honest uh, if, if I get you know, I get around 400 to 500 emails a day on, a, on an average day not, not all from bands just in the course of a day that's my average yeah. email count um, and probably 300 of those are related to the ongoing things bands that we're working with already yeah. maybe between 50 and 100 of those are inquiries about you know licensing and, and maybe another 50 of those are from from bands um, and then of course I get them on messenger I get them on messenger on Facebook as well people message me on messenger me on facebook at three o'clock in the morning hey can you listen to my no i can't i'm i'm at home messing about on my computer talking to my wife yeah. or like you know watching some stupid videos of dogs falling down like you are <laughs> i i'm not wanting i don't want to listen to your band right now you know this is my simon raymond facebook page this is not the bella union yeah. facebook page this is me my own thing yeah. don't bombard me with your band right now because yeah. i'm just chilling out right now yeah. <laughs> um so I think it's just common sense, really. Um, but I guess a lot of people don't have that in abundance, and they're just they're just so enthusiastic to get their music out. They just blurt it out to everyone, thinking, "Well, the blanket approach must work. It works with bombing. Uh, maybe it will work with record labels." <laughs> I'm like, it doesn't work like that. I promise you, the individual taking care, doing your research, works. Yeah. Because if you show that you've spent at least a few minutes researching me, then maybe I'll spend at least a few minutes researching yeah. you. It's a reciprocal arrangement. Yeah. If you're just rude, and I mean, if I just came up to you in the street and just threw, gave my record to you and just forced it into your pocket, <laughs> you'd think, what a, what a rude person. But that's really what these people are doing yeah. when they're sending you that email with no, like, hey, how are you? Because... You know, I'm a hey, how are you kind of guy. Yeah. You know, if you want to get to know me and be friends with me, you're not going to do it by just shoving something in my bag. <laughs> you 
Sign much, much artists or bands through being sent demos. Uh, I know, I know. We were just speaking upstairs, and you mentioned sort of horse thief you actually found through the ACM. Yes, which is amazing. ACM. I love stories like that because it's just well, exactly what you want to hear as a as a an artist or a band that. that well, it was happened. beautiful. You know, I went and did a a, a masterclass talk at a, at a music university in uh, in Oklahoma City. 
And I, I had gone there for two reasons, to, to meet Wayne Coyne to try and sign the Flaming Lips, which yeah. thankfully worked out very well. And uh, at the same time, the manager of the Flaming Lips, who was running this, this university, the ACM Academy, Academy of Music in Oklahoma City, asked me to stop by and do a masterclass. After the masterclass, this very friendly uh, bearded young boy of, of 19 I think he was at the time Cameron came up and said hi and I had a lovely chat with him and he asked if it was okay if he gave me a CD and I remember thinking what a charming guy and I took it back to my room and put it in my bag and completely forgot about it uh, and then Scott the manager of, of Flaming Lips called you know called me a couple of weeks later to just see how I was doing and um, said, did you, you know, did you listen to Cameron's band yet? And I was like, oh, no, 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 I didn't. I will, I will, I will. And I listened to it, and I was like, what? This stuff's amazing. They were so good. Um, and he said, well, you know, how about I manage them and you put it out? And I was like, you know what? I'm into that. They're really great, and they, he seems such a lovely guy. And as it happens, you know, we have a very lovely relationship with that, that band. I just, I was there again about two weeks ago doing the very same thing. I did another master class at the university and, and had, you know, no end of CDs thrust in my hand yeah. again, uh, none of which I've listened to either. But um, <laughs> um, that, you know, that does happen. And I think you, you, there's no one way of signing a band. Yeah. And, and have I signed many bands from demos? Answer, no. Not many, but I have. Yeah. Uh, Laura Veers, uh, who's one of the, the longest-serving artists on the label, uh, she left for a brief period in the middle to sign to a major, which, which went horribly wrong, and then she came back. Um, so we've done five albums with Laura Veers, and she sent me a CD, uh, just a, uh, a demo CD of her first record uh, back in whatever it was, 2002, I think it was. So... Um, I was very nearly signed a band recently from from a demo as well. It didn't actually work out; just just fell apart a bit last week. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's more likely that I'll sign a band through seeing them play, you know. But I mean, certainly a demo is a good way for me to go and to hear whether I want to go and see you play. And I do go out a lot or up and down the country now. I never used to sign that many British bands because I was off British music for years. I think. For about 30 years actually yeah. um, from about 1979 up until about three years ago I thought the British music scene was pretty hideous um, and I just f focused mostly on American bands if you yeah. look at the roster you probably work that out yeah. for yourself but uh, more recently I'm, I love what's coming out of, of, of the UK of Britain right now I think there's incredible bands yeah. in, the, in, in, in our vicinity so um, most weekends I go up to Manchester or Liverpool or Newcastle or wherever or just walk down the road in Brighton you know there's plenty of bands down here yeah. every week Wicked. I'm sitting out of here watching 
something that you've always wanted to get into or how how's that come about um I don't remember exactly how the first show came about but obviously my relationship with radio is is pretty deep um you know when you're growing up uh in in the UK and and getting into music in in the late 70s you know, John Peel was uh, was was the man to go to. You know, and I religiously listened to and taped his show every night, yeah. every single night. I hardly ever missed a show. Um, and then, of course, then joining a band and getting a John Peel session. Um, those things are significant. And I suppose the sort of uh, growing up with radio, even from my parents, listening to radio as a kid, is something we did as a family. You know, I'm that old that we did used to listen to radio shows as a family uh, when I was a real, really small child. Um, and those sort of early experiences through teenage into my 20s, they, they, they do stay with you. You know, and I, I do love the BBC, even though there's a lot, an awful lot wrong with it. Um, there's an awful lot right with it. And, I, you know, I still have an attachment to uh, to Six Music. I think it's a brilliant thing. And, um, you know, and Radio 4 I love. And, and well, you know, I, I love I love pretty much, you know, uh, the BBC in general as a as a broadcast medium. I think yeah. it's awesome. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, I, 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 I wish it were better, you know, and I wish there was more we could do with it, uh, certainly on the TV side of things regarding music, mm-hmm. because I think we, we really fall down flat on that one. Um, but anyway, b- back to the radio thing. Uh, my interest in radio sort of is is as a human rather than just on a personal level. Yeah. Um, and I've always thought how important it was to, to our culture that we have a lot of new music on the radio. And there was a period where I didn't think there was enough. And obviously when Six Music was in, in danger of going under, we were all terrified what would happen. Yeah. But thankfully, you know, common sense prevailed, and here we are with a thriving uh, radio station. Um, amazing radio set up, uh, I don't know, like seven or eight years ago, I guess, 
and Beth I think it was that's right that's right it was Beth and Elfin, uh, Elfin who had a show on, on Radio Wales yeah. Lo- lovely girl and a brilliant show she did for BBC yeah, she used to do the introducing the same time that's as right. you and all that yeah. yeah that's right and she was lovely and we met a few times at gigs and I think she, I did a couple of interviews with her at Glastonbury and stuff like that or, or you know just around the place we'd always bump into each other and I think I said to her if you're ever off or you know looking for someone to stand stand in for you I'd be more than happy to I don't know why I said it but prob- <laughs> probably just because I felt that um I could do it you know yeah. playing records is so, you know I, I like DJing I like playing vinyl in clubs and uh, I think I've got great taste so why wouldn't I want to play records on a radio show and, and talking isn't something I have a problem with clearly so um <laughs> You know, it seemed like a sort of fairly easy job for me to do. Because, yeah. let's be frank, you know, there aren't an awful lot of jobs in inverted commas that I can do. Yeah. You know, I can run my own thing, I can play music, and I can talk about music on the radio. Well, if someone's going to pay me to do <laughs> either of those, any of those things, then I'm, and it's stuff I like to do, yeah. then I might think about doing it. Yeah. And that's what happened with Amazing. Um, they offered me this show and I said well you know I'd do some live sessions at my studio and I did that for three years had bands playing on every week um, and that was great fun um, really 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 great fun and I still do the show every every Monday night and I definitely have uh, a broader knowledge of what's going on as a result of Amazing Radio than yeah. I would do if I wasn't doing the show and I'll be brutally honest Sometimes when I get up in the morning, I do not want to go and sit and listen to all the brand new tracks that are uploaded to the yeah. station because the way it works is uh, you as a musician or your plugger or your management or your record label uploads your tune to amazingtunes.com and then us DJs, we all go onto that website and listen through to the new uploads and pick our show construct our show out of the new uploads yeah. and that's how it works yeah. but I have to go online to be able to do it there's no CDs involved there's no can I send you a CD for your show no yeah. you can't because I I can't do anything with it when I get it because yeah. it's, it's your responsibility to upload the music not yeah. mine I'm not allowed to do that so it's quite an unusual system it's not like the BBC where you know you submit a track and uh, you send it in on CD and someone listens to it and comes back to you and says yeah yeah we'll put it on so and so's show this is different I make my own choices Paul Lester makes his own choices Gary Crowley makes his own choices based on what new music there is and it's it's unique I think it's unique but I, I don't always want to have to sit there and listen to let's face it 99% of bullshit to find what is it 29 to 30 tracks that I do like yeah. but surprisingly every week I do find 30 <laughs> tracks that I really like yeah. and sometimes I find 60 yeah. so the ratio if I probably listen to about 400 tracks a week I you know generally find at least 10% yeah that are really great yeah. would I sign 10% of them no of course right. not I might sign 0.1% of them but that's a percentage at least yeah it's a lot of music, one and over one and a half thousand tracks per month you're listening to. Yeah, it's an awful <laughs> it's lot. Crazy. And I have to be honest, I don't always listen to the whole track, you know, because I, I can pretty you much can't. tell. You'd be, you'd, you I can't. I wouldn't do have, anything else. No, would I would never do anything else. I don't have the time, but it's it's more I can tell, you know, within within sort of twenty or thirty seconds if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be into it. Yeah. And I mean, I do make the decisions fairly randomly, and when I listen back to the show, sometimes I'm like. 
Well, no, I don't actually like that that much. <laughs> but you know, you're gonna play something. You can't play something. <laughs> John Kennedy's show on XFM is totally different. I literally take all. You know, I take CDs and We're I have huge to get fans of John Kennedy. Oh yeah, he's me too. The nicest guy. In nicest the guy. And he loves what he does, and he his knowledge just, is unbelievable. Yes, yeah, unreal. And I've been. I'm sure you've been and watched him in action. It's it's scary because. Obviously, amazing radio. My show, I just do it on the kitchen table. You know, I do it at home in my own time, edit it all together, produce the whole thing, and then send it off as a as a WAV file. Yeah. With uh, with uh, with XFM, totally live, of course. So that doesn't sound that scary. But if you'd been doing it one way, just you know, even if you make a mistake on the amazing radio thing, I could just erase it and record it again you know you can't do that live obviously so it's terrifying the first few nights anyway we were like absolutely petrified but uh, I've seen John in action and I mean he is so professional and he's not phased by anything he can have a conversation with four people in the room uh, and he just stands up and does the show he very rarely sits down he can be talking to you about all the different things and there's just just hold on a second and then he's like talks for 30 seconds about the tracks not looking at any bits of paper or anything and blah 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 blah. and anyway uh, and I'll be back after the next break and then he's straight back to the conversation with you do you want a cup of tea you know (laughs) I mean, his ability to switch between being on as the DJ and being just John Kennedy yeah. with his mates is, is quite remarkable because I can't do that. And his knowledge of fans and music and yeah. how much he actually cares. Is, He's like, is he so, is as close so to John Peel as anyone has I, ever I, been. I do believe so. I think, yeah. I, yeah, as I say, myself and Jack are both. Yeah, you know, huge fans. fans. So, His show is actually brilliant to listen to. Yeah. I mean, I discover a lot of music that I would never discover through his show, and he's got great taste, as you say. And he's a real um, pioneer in many ways, yeah. Nick. Yeah. But I think John Kennedy does—he really stands out yeah. as a, as a beacon for a lot he's of bands. He's the face of what he does as well. If that yeah, makes yeah sense. he is. Like, all the bands are in contact with him once he's played you. He's so. And he's been doing it seventeen not, years. Yes, yeah, it's, it's great. That XFM of. It's amazing, given the rest of the output of XFM, which is you know, in a way, sort of fairly bland and you know, indie guitar bands generally. Yeah, that's it. You know what I mean? John really takes it into another another area altogether. Thank God for him, man. (laughs) Really.
last question and it's just asking what's coming up for Bella Union for 2015 I know I'm really personally excited about the Peter Broderick album I'm a huge fan yes. I, I think he's, he's a genius brilliant. yeah he is I know you've got pins Sophie Sophie's got a like massive connection with Alcopop uh, being multi-instrumentalist in my first two for actually Alcopop's that's right serving bands that's so, right um, but yeah I just wondered what 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 you've got coming up and well I have to say uh, I probably say this every year well but I mean, I think it it will be our best ever year. I think it really will be. Um, what can I am I allowed to tell <laughs> you about? So well, there's a couple that. I, well, basically, we've already had our two brilliant albums: Zanzanagui's uh, latest album, uh, the second record, and BC Camplight's uh, first record for us yeah. just came out in January. Which, um, I, I don't know him personally, but I used to work at One Little Indian, so I know him. Oh right, right, right. right. Indian yeah, days yeah. Oh, well, quite different, but. Um, yeah, a bit of a sort of you know comeback record for him because yeah. he was it's sort of, kind of fairly similar story to John Grant's in a way. You know, he like went through some some serious sort of life dramas mm. uh, that, that ended up with him with him living in uh, with him living in Manchester from Philadelphia because he was originally you know uh, had the War on Drugs guys in his band and he was playing with Sharon Van Atten and uh, you know it's it a bit of a name on the scene in Philadelphia yeah. and then you know all kind of things went horribly wrong for him and he ended up in in Manchester where he ended up making this uh, this album for us and one thing led to another and we, we were very happy to sign him last year and I think it's I think it's one of the best records of the year already it's genius How to Die in the North it's called so that came out a couple of weeks back uh, Father John Misty just came out this Which this last week everywhere yes every it's, time it's, I log on anywhere whatever social network yes it's really pick, really picking up a lot of steam isn't it it's a uh, it's the first chart record we've had in a while as well which is nice it yeah. went in the chart at 14 this week Brilliant. Um, it's nice to see that yeah it's nice well to see well. that you know he's a he's a different kind of guy he's a sort of a, a very intelligent very funny um, you know interesting person so I think the, the you know the more attention people like that get the better um, so that's this month and then next month um, we've got Inventions, which is um, Matthew Matthew from Illuvium and Mark Smith from Explosions in the Sky have made their second album together. Awesome. That's beautiful. Um, we've got an album by Hannah Cohen, um, who put out her first album with us about three years ago. Um, it's kind of a heartbreak record, but a, a really unusual heartbreak record in that the, the, the person she was breaking up with was the person she was making the album with, which is kind of unique yeah. um, and, and adds the sort of real amazing tension to the record that's you know it is kind of amazing to listen to um, we've also got Peter Broderick's record as you mentioned yeah. coming up in April that's a f- absolute winner I was reading about that actually the whole the whole, the whole thing um, with the Switzerland musicians yeah, yeah it's, it's brilliant really really different oh it's, it's so different I mean he's never had a band before no, as you know I, Peter's I, always been very sort of anal about doing he does everything he does everything he? Like, you know gigs, yeah he does everything man and it's, he just gets the train everywhere yeah. and he's just like an incredible human being I mean yeah. given that he's I don't even. Well, he probably is twenty over twenty five now. But when I first started working with him, and I, I couldn't believe he'd already had about five albums out. I mean, the guy puts out an album every twelve days. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's a uh, he's prolific. Yeah. He collaborates, and uh, he releases things on erased tapes, on uh, on Western vinyl, on you know 
all sorts of different places he yeah. releases things and and we tend to be the place where he releases his sort of proper records or what might call sort of studio records where yeah. he's actually taking a bit more time and yeah. care or, or more song-based ones and and home obviously did really well for him and uh for one reason or another he's had a lot of Ill, illness problems health problems and and uh Injuries and things like that over the last few years. Was playing with Afterclang for a, yeah. a, a while there too, and it's taken him a while to get this latest record together. But um, well worth the wait, and he'll be playing some shows around the, around the releases and doing some in stores and stuff. Um, then we've got a new uh, Ezra Furman album, awesome. which we haven't announced yet. So hopefully this won't. When will this go out? By the way, when will um, this go out? Next month, March. Okay, perfect. It'll be announced by then. So the Ezra Ezra Firman record will be coming out in July. Um, we have Land Shapes, their new album. We've got a really busy busy year. Um, we've got uh, Pins album coming out, as yes. you say, in June, uh, which is fantastic. Recorded out in Joshua Tree by yes. uh, Dave Catching from Queens of the Stone exactly. Age. Amazing. We'll, we'll be doing. Um, yeah, we'll be doing a, a sort of little trailer of the album of the film of the album recording soon. So. You'll see a bit more, but yeah, it was really great. And then they mixed it out in New York. Um, and then we've got uh, the third album by Lanterns on the Lake coming up in August. I just received it, and it's absolutely incredible. Definitely their best record yet. Um, and then in August, we have like a really big band returning, who I can't say yet. And then in October... I can't really say that either. But we have two other of our big artists yeah. coming back, but neither of those have been announced yet, so I don't want to get in trouble cool. <laughs> by spoiling the uh, the surprise too early. But um, uh, suffice to say, uh, you know, with Father John Misty uh, and then all these other wonderful records in between and then the two bigger acts again towards the end of the year, uh, I, I'd say... Well, it's going to be our busiest year ever, but I would certainly say it could, could well be one of our most successful in terms of sort of sales and yeah. stuff like that. Um, and I'm not going to complain about that, you know, because we had a we had a really quiet year last year because there was actually just as as sometimes happens, we didn't have any of our established acts releasing a record last year, none. So it was it was twelve months of baby bands and developing. You know whether whether it be Horse Thief or, or Arch Iris or uh, you know who or Pins or whoever it was, it was all brand new bands. And yeah. you know, as you know, it's it's a different world entering the market with a new band today as, than it was even a couple of years ago. Um, you know, the, the, there's so many bands releasing records every week now. Yeah. It's it's hard to get the attention. So you have to have a much longer term uh, view of it all. And, I don't mind first records not selling any because I don't expect them to anyway. Yeah. But I think you know you have to if you're releasing twelve months of of baby bands, you have to be prepared that uh, you know it might be a slightly quieter twelve months than yeah. you, you'd be used to, you'd hope for. Um, but this year, well, it's already got off to a great start because because Zunzun and and BC have both gone really well, and uh, as you say, Father John Misty's sort of it's everywhere wherever you look right yeah. now, so um, that bodes very well bodes very well I'm excited I mean I have the best job really don't I I'm jealous yeah. <laughs> cool well thank you ever so much for taking thank the you, time thank you Matt I really really appreciate it thank you too. Matt it was lovely yeah. to talk to you awesome thank cheers. you 
Podcast!